All right, let's take our Bibles and go to John <clears throat> chapter 10. We're going to begin a new series today. The question of, can you go back to being lost once you get saved? It's a big question, right? Like the whole thing about people asking you, you hear it in a sermon. Have you been born again? Do you know Jesus? Are you on your way to heaven? Have you been saved? Have you repented? But then the big question is, if I believe that has happened to me, is there something that I can do or something that I can not do that will cause me to go back to being lost? In other words, can I lose my salvation? This week and next week, we're going to study that topic, alright? The week after that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at an even scarier topic for those of us who have maybe been in church for a while. Now, if you're here today and you're like, Jeff, bro, I don't even think I'm saved. In fact, if the judgment were now, if I went to meet Christ today, I'm pretty sure I would be on my way to hell. Just being honest. Then there's others of us, and we've been in church a long time, we know about the Bible, but the question for us after next week is, does our lives, do our lives manifest what the Bible says is there? It's not a question of if, do our lives manifest what the Bible says is there for someone who's truly been saved? Just a precursor. Matthew chapter 7. Do you remember when Jesus says, There will be many who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? And done many wonderful works in your name? Now that sounds like a pretty good person, right? Like that's an A plus church member. Like, what, alright, you wanna, you wanna teach a class? Cool. You've been saved? Alright, tell me what you think about God. Are you believe the Bible is the Word of God? What, what else, you know, have you been involved? You're like, well, the last 50 people in Franklin County who have been demon possessed, they called me, I showed up, no more demon. And then it gets awkwardly silent, like, okay, alright, well, what, what else have you done? Man, I, I went, I went to this Christian event, and they asked me to give a testimony, and I gave a testimony, and like 300 people got saved. I don't even know what happened. Many wonderful works in your name. Then Jesus gives that freaky, freaky statement. Then, well, like then after the person there, before God, after it's all said and done, the fat lady has sung, judgment day, payday Sunday, it's that day. After that, then Jesus will say to them, no way! Well, come on in, A+. plus. He says, then I will say to them, depart from me. I never, catch this, I never knew you. Just because the Lord has used us in great ways within the church maybe even in mission trips, maybe VBS, maybe you were a teacher last year and a kid in your class or two got saved. All of that is not the result. It's not a definite sign that we've truly been converted. It's a sign that we let somebody have the seed of the gospel. We all need to understand this very important point. This is going to be a serious time, all right? The quality of the gospel is in itself not in the person who spreads it. Now what that means is that you can be the lost, most pagan, God-hating sinner 
And you can stand up in a meeting of atheists where people are like roasting Christians verbally. And you can stand up and say, do you guys hear that verse in the Bible? Right? When John the Baptist, all that garbage, all that trash, he looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody's laughing like, that's a joke. You're like, it's, I got an even better one. For God so loved the world. Everybody's like, what a joke! That he, that he gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. And everybody's just rolling on the floor like, what a pathetic lie. But there's that one person in the back and the seed of the gospel through the gospel being made fun of and thrown in the dirt and stepped upon, the seed of the gospel penetrates their heart and they get saved. God can use even a lost person who says Scripture in a blasphemous way to bring about the result of someone getting saved because it's not the preacher, it's not the teacher, it's the Word that does the work. So I say that to get every church member here thinking. After next week, we're going to go through what the Scripture says must be in our lives. Because God God is not a God of ifs, of maybes, of I don't know, of well, maybe I feel like this, maybe I don't. God has, especially in the book of 1 John, definite truths, definite evidences that will be there. And even more so, if you're here and you say, Jeff, th- th- this, is, this is like the Baptist story. All right, here's the Baptist story. I was raised in church. When I was five or six or seven or eight or two or three or whatever, I, I went down the aisle, right? The pastor's given the invitation. And I prayed the prayer. And I did that. And I joined the church. Big warning sign. Ask somebody, have you ever been saved? Yeah, I joined the church. Huge warning sign. And then I got baptized. But then for like 20 years of my life, I didn't care about God. I didn't read His Word. I went to church like maybe, I don't know, even if I went during that time. And it just, God wasn't a priority at all. And then one day I came back and I rededicated myself. Once again, a precursor. That's called a false conversion. Being very honest. That's called a false conversion, okay? And some of you say, well, Jeff, I know that, I, man, when I came back and I thought I rededicated, I got, I was on fire, I mean, God, I was, I repented, I was broken. It's more than likely, and we're going to unpack this in the weeks to come, it's more than likely that's the point that you got saved. Because in the Scripture, it doesn't mean that you don't sin, doesn't mean that you don't fall, doesn't mean that you don't stumble, but when you get truly born again by the God of the universe, like, like when you realize that you are bad enough that He would send you to hell and it would be just, and then He comes down and He saves you and He changes your life, you're like, man, what, what, what can I do for Jesus? Right? Right? Have you ever been in that place before where you've had to have immediate medical attention? The EMTs came or the doctors there working on you, stopping the bleeding, giving you what you need, putting in the IVs. You remember those people if you were cognizant. Every single one of us remembers those people. Now I remember specific name, but you're like, man, if that if I ever know if that person needs help, I will be there because they literally saved my life. Same thing. When you realize that Jesus has saved you, it is just Jesus 100%. And that is the goal of your life. So that's what we're going to be studying these next six weeks. So if attendance drops off, we will know why. Alright? Everybody okay still? Okay. The reason... Let me, let me just give this. 
the reason why we would unpack the most, especially in a church setting, the most awkward, I think, teaching in the Bible of true and false conversions is because God truly loves us. God loves us enough. Please, please hear me. God loves us enough to make us uncomfortable so that our uncomfortability will produce repentance. And that repentance and that brokenness is what opens our heart to Him coming in and saving our soul. So God loves us enough to make us uncomfortable with our sin. And so then there's God's Word, there's all of you, and then it's my job to teach that. So if I gloss over the hard stuff, you know what I'm saying? Is that I care more about what you think about me You care more. Please, this is. I care more about what you would think about me than my care of where you will spend eternity. I have to make the choice to teach the hard stuff. Does that make sense? We're not wanting to come across brute or, or rude or abrasive or mean or judgmental, but because. We need to come to that place of knowing for sure. That's why we'll study what we will study. So today, we're going to do more of a survey. We're not going to probably be here the whole time today. No amens? Alright. This is the, the first part of the message on eternal security. Popularly, it's known as once saved, always saved. Now, just from what I know, we have people here from Southern Baptist backgrounds, Independent Baptist backgrounds, Primitive Baptist backgrounds. We've got some Pentecostals. We've got Methodists. I'm sure we've got some Bible. I mean, we have a very diverse church in, in terms of where we've all been at one time or another. A lot of us have heard a lot of different things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the key verses people use to say that you can lose your salvation. Key verses that tell us that you can go back to being lost by doing something really bad or through a period of disobedience. But our start off verses here in John chapter 10, and it's verses 22 through 30. So next week we're going to do a heavy exegesis of this. This morning I want to point us, we're just going to read through the text and then go to these other verses and address them. The Bible says, John 10, 22, At that time the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Stop right there. Jesus is like, I'm healing people, I'm raising people from the dead. Hello. If that's not evidence for you that I'm from God, then what's he say? He says, you simply, you simply do not believe. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28 is key. Check it out. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now notice there in verse number 28. Who is the one who gives people eternal life? It is... 
Jesus right there, He says, right, I give them eternal life. Now notice what happens when a person receives eternal life from Christ. The next phrase in verse 28. And they will never what? They will never perish. And then He says, and just to make it clear, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. Why? My Father who has given to me is greater than all. And just to clarify, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So it's kind of like this. We are in the hand of Christ. Christ is in the hand of God. And no one can snatch us out of the hand of Jesus or the hand of the Father. Which means when Jesus gives a person eternal life, it means that they have what kind of life? Eternal life. Eternal life is not a conditional thing. But you see, now Jeff, I've been told by some people um, that that is not true. Now let me just make a very important point here. People who believe that you can lose your salvation, that does not mean that they are not Christians. Be very clear this morning. This is an interpretive issue. It's how we interpret the Bible. But it doesn't bear if someone says, well, I think verses in here say that you can lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that they don't believe the Bible. Are we all clear on that? We can have fellowship with other Christians who believe that you can, but I believe what the Bible teaches, and do my best job today, is teach that once we get saved, it is something that God does and not us. Here's a couple of issues of why this is very relevant. Issues of the assurance of salvation. Number one, if the Bible teaches that I can be lost after I've been saved, then I cannot have assurance of salvation. True? If there's a possibility that salvation can be lost, then I could certainly lose it. In other words, leave it to me to mess it up. We're being very, very honest. Some of us could say, you know what, if there is an exception clause in there, I've probably found it and I've done it. If it can be lost... I've probably already done it. So what we need to do here today is address those verses that people use to say that you can lose your salvation. And the next week we're going to build the case, all the verses, the overall majority that clearly teach that you cannot. Number one is Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. The Bible says, Look, I, Paul, <clears throat> say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Now this phrase right here, fallen from grace, some people can say, well now Jeff, the Bible says that you can fall from grace. Context. When Paul was writing to the Galatians, there were certain Jews who were coming in, and they were basically saying this, you can believe in Jesus, but in order to be truly saved, you have to be circumcised as well. In other words, it's Jesus plus something. Translate that to modern day America. Jesus plus you being a good person. And Paul's saying, look, if you are wanting to put something plus Jesus, you're saying that Jesus is not enough. And if you're saying that Jesus is not enough, then what you're doing is you're going back to trying to earn your salvation through the law. And if that's the case, then you've fallen from grace. Like the whole idea that God saves us because He's good and because we can't save ourselves is out the window. So it's not saying that we can. It's just saying that a person who desires to live in a type of lifestyle say, Jesus, I know you said that you can save me, but let me help you out a little bit. Remember the first time that we realized that concept that I will never be able to extradite myself from sin. Do you remember how that was? Like, I am so lost that it's going to have to be God. Honestly. Scout's honor. Like, I am so lost, I'm not going to be able to help God any. 
So that's the point that we, that we got saved. Warren Wiersbe says this. Paul uses three phrases to describe the losses the Christians incur, the Christian incurs when he turns from grace to the law. Number one would be Christ shall profit you nothing, Galatians 5.2. A debtor to the whole law, Galatians 5.3. Christ has become of no effect to you, Galatians 5.4. This leads to the sad conclusion in Galatians 5.4 that you are fallen from grace. It is bad enough that legalism robs the believer of his liberty, but it also robs him of his spiritual wealth in Christ. The believer living under law becomes a bankrupt slave. That's why Paul tells us to walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. Second verse that is often used to make the case that we can lose our salvation is Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. If you have the Bible there, go ahead and turn with me. We're going to be flipping around a little bit this morning. The Bible says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and of the powers of the age to come. Verse 6, mark it in your Bible. And then have fallen away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake is it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned." Now let me just say straight up right here, this is the central verse that is used to tell us that we can lose our salvation. But very rarely is it mentioned that in the text right here, there is no way that a person, if that's what this Bible verse is teaching, there is no way that you can ever get your salvation back. We all clear on that? What's it say? It is impossible if they have fallen away, to restore them again. So, if the Bible teaches that you can lose your salvation, according to this verse, you have lost it forever. I mean, lost as a balanced checkbook in Congress. Lost. Are you tracking with me this morning? We're talking about can never get it back. And the key word there um, is in verse number 4 is tasted. The word here uses to describe a real type of experience, okay? And the question, when we study the Bible, and some of this is technical stuff, is what type of experience does the person taste? Is it speaking of true salvation, or is it speaking of some type of religious experience? Well, when the Bible uses the word taste, it's to some type of experience, but the text doesn't exactly say which. Notice once again, it says it's impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. This could mean anything from getting saved for real to simply come to that place where you hear the gospel and you're like, whoa. So I'm a sinner. Like that bad? Let me check with my heart. Yeah, it's that bad. Okay? And then Jesus can save me and I know I need to be saved. But if we go to Mark chapter 4, do you remember the parable of the soils? All of them had some type of experience with the Word. 
First, the sower, like this, this farmer, he begins to sow seed, and some seed fell upon the path, like a path that's been, been beaten down by feet. And, you know, have you ever noticed a cow path, like how hard it is, because they just walk the same path over and over and over and over again, kind of like Baptist in tradition, okay? Just over. Y'all awake this morning? Y'all alright? Is that okay to say that? You're like, over and over again. And, and, and the Bible says that the, that the birds were the ones who came down, and they ate the seed before it could go through the hard soil. And the picture there is, Jesus explains that those are people who hear, who experience the Word of God hearing it, but then Satan comes in and steals the seed. Steals the seed like, well, you can't be sure if the Bible's really true. You know what? Your neighbor, you're a way better person than, than them. You're, you're, you're good. Or something. So I think one of Satan's most effective lies is, man, you've been coming to church for a good while now. You know you need to get saved. You know you need to follow believers' baptism. But look at this. Just do it. Do it next month. It's not a good time right now. It's busy. Just, just, just postpone it. I think a lot of people are in hell, especially Americans. A lot of, a lot of Americans are in hell are there saying, why well, I was going to get saved. You can save next week. Save next month. Just put it off, put it off, put it off. And then the parable of the soils also speaks about the soil that fell into stony ground. You ever been around rocks and a little, just a little bit of soil there? It's all rocky and, and sandy. And, and, and then it took root because, but didn't have much soil. It, very quickly, emotional decision. It's kind of like this. Somebody comes to church, they're like, whoa, no way, Jesus loves me? I'm loved! It's kind of like on Dumb and Dumber when he left out of the bar. Don't act like you've never seen that movie. And he looks and he sees, he sees that old newspaper clipping of we walked on the moon and he just stops and does a double take and runs out of the, out of the, the establishment. We walked on the moon! It's kind of like somebody comes to church and like, I'm loved! Cool! Grace, love, and forgiveness, I'm in. Then, once those emotions shift the next week or the next month or the next year, you don't see him again. And an experience, but it wasn't anything that lasted. Then Jesus said, there's those people that hear. It's good soil. Seed takes root. But then the weeds begin to choke it out. You ever notice what punks weeds are? They will choke out what is good. You ever notice how hard it is to garden? The only thing that I have growing is my neighbor Gina gave me a plant that she had after... This is like the indestructible plant. Like if zombie apocalypse happens, these plants will survive. Alright? It's like survivor the band, the plant. It just keeps growing. It's my office. It's like a tree now. If you've ever tried to do any real type of gardening, you notice how, you know how hard it is to get the good stuff to grow and keep the bad stuff from not growing. The Bible says that when the seed took root in the good soil... The weeds choked it and it became unfruitful, meaning the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Meaning the person who comes and says, you know what, I'm a sinner, I need to give my life to Christ. They make a religious decision. And then, after they begin to weigh the cost, they see that Jesus, if anything, is only a part of my life instead of my life. They may access Him through prayer when they're going through a bad time. They may pick up the Bible once in a while. But Jesus in no way captures their affections and is chief in their heart. You can have an experience. You know the way Charles Stanley in the commentary he puts on this verse? This is so scary. 
When he says the writer of Hebrews is explaining it is impossible to restore them again, he says when you come to a person who has been in church and has heard the gospel over and over again, but they've come to that place where they say, you know what, I don't care. I know it, but I'm going to disobey it. He said, what else can you tell them? Like you, you, you're going to go to them if they've been raised in the church and say, Jesus loves you and died for your sin. Like, I know that and I don't care. It's talking about, in the first part of Hebrews, a heart that has become hardened. If you're taking notes, write on Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. The writer warns of a hard heart. This should shake all of us. A hard heart does not sit there and say, I don't want to hear God. But a hardened heart cannot hear God. Writer of Hebrews, some people, godly people, translate this to say, they interpret this, that we can lose our salvation. But based upon what we'll study next week, I believe the overwhelming majority of the verses in the Bible teach that we cannot. Number three, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. The Bible says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. In that same chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he's speaking here not just of average believers who are having a struggle, not of you and I if we've sinned, but he's speaking of false teachers and he calls them brute beasts. That's pretty hard, isn't it? What he's saying is that a person who comes to Christ, but they, they, they've never left a philosophy of their own, he says they're going to go back to it. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, if you're taking notes, this is a very helpful reference. The Bible says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So in 2 Peter, he's addressing false teachers whose goal is to try to convince people that Christ is not real. He's not speaking of people who struggle or, or sin, and then God says, I'm taking back your salvation. Finally, in number 4, Acts chapter 1, verses 25, verse 25, and it speaks of Judas being replaced by another apostle. So the question is, the story of Judas, right? The guy who betrayed Jesus with the kiss who later went out and hung himself. If you've ever been confused about those references in the Bible, it says that he hung himself. And then another one, it says in his... his He burst. Best Bible commentators understand that to mean that when you hang yourself and you're there for a long time, that you swell. And this may be a graphic metaphor, but it's in the Bible. But then you eventually, you burst. The question is, is Judas a guy who loved Jesus just made a bad decision and lost his salvation, or had Judas never been saved all along? Let me make a note about suicide here. I've had this question so many times. People say, Jeff, if you commit suicide, does that mean that you lose your salvation? No. So upon what basis can you say that? The Bible. We all okay this morning? 
The only thing that I can say is what the Scripture says. And the Scripture never says that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Obviously, we know it's not a good thing, especially for those who have been left behind. But I would urge you and caution you never to go beyond what Scripture says. We get ourselves in so much problems trying to theorize about what's not in the Scripture. Now, I want to make an announcement too. That often when suicide happens for real... Not the overdose on the pills, but when it happens for real, people around the person don't see it coming. I believe the Lord wants me to just say this this morning, that if you are struggling with deep depression, with thoughts of suicide, please talk to someone. For the glory of God, for the love of your family, please do that. Talk to me. My cell phone. Some pastor's like, you put your cell phone in the bulletin? I'm like, I'm not afraid of stalkers. If you break in, we'll just go to jiu-jitsu. It'll be fun. Honestly, text me, call me. It will be kept in confidence. If you have a close friend, close family member, please, please talk to them. Do not do it. Don't do it. So the key with Judas is what Jesus had to say about Judas. I think it would be good to see what Jesus said to say about Judas in order to understand if he had lost his salvation or if he had never been saved all along. Luke chapter 22, verse 22, Jesus says, Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Mark said in Mark chapter 14, verse 21, Did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. It's kind of, kind of be contradictory for Jesus to call a saved person a devil. Then verse 71 in John chapter 6 says, He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And some people are confused about, well, what, what's it say about when Judas repented? Well, there's different Greek words for repent or to feel remorse or to feel sorry. It's not the word, it's not the idea of Judas repenting like a person would when they got saved. He was sorry over what he had done. He had not truly repented. So four quick questions for us to ask about can we lose our salvation. These are there in your outline. Number one, if losing our salvation is possible, how could Jesus say, quote, and they shall never perish? John chapter 10, verse 28. A person forfeiting eternal life through apostasy, which is to renounce Christ or sin, would turn Jesus' unconditional statement into a conditional statement, right? Like if we could lose it, then what we're saying is, Jesus, you needed to have put an asterisk by eternal life. Number two, why does the Bible use the concept of adoption? We'll unpack this next week. If our salvation is not permanent. If we could lose our salvation, wouldn't it have been better for God to use legal terms such as contracts or mutual agreements rather than adoption? In the time of the New Testament, in the Roman world, if you adopted a child, it was illegal to disown them. So if we could lose our salvation, then why would the Apostle Paul adopt the metaphor of adoption? Number three, the Bible describes in detail how we receive salvation, which is repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. So if losing our salvation is possible, why don't we find the same kind of details on getting back our salvation? Wouldn't you think that would be a really, really big part of the Bible if we could lose it? It tells us how to get it. Then if we could lose it, and tell me how I get it back. It's, it's just not there. Number four. If our salvation is dependent solely upon our own faith, at what point is our faith inadequate for salvation? 
In other words, if we can lose our salvation, what we're saying here is that we get saved by grace, but we stay saved by works. We get saved based upon God's goodness, but we stay within God's goodness based upon our own goodness. And I've talked to people before that struggle with the assurance of salvation. They say, Jeff, and especially if you are more of a, I guess we could say, a more wired person, more nervous, kind of like if you've ever been in a dating relationship before and it's just all based upon insecurity, the girl you're talking to the guy and he always thinks that you're mad at him, thinks that you don't like him, or vice versa, and it's just like this whole thing of I don't know what to say, I don't know how to say it because I think that they may not like me, and it's all based on insecurity and you can never get anywhere. Because it's always thinking someone's mad at you. And often that will translate over into our relationship with God. Thinking, well, did I do good enough this week to stay in God's good grace? Did, did I read my Bible enough? Did I pray enough? Did I witness enough? Am I still saved? I don't know. God, please save me again. Or am I saved? I don't. And it's just almost like spiritual anxiety. So some churches, like they have to pass out like spiritual Valium, you know, to like calm people down. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, that we have passed from death to life. That's clear. When you pass from death to life, it's in the, in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means having passed from death to life. Which means, bro, it is a permanent thing. Which if you're here today and you say, Jeff, I don't, I don't know if I'm, if I can get saved. I don't know if I can keep myself saved. That's the whole point. We can't. Isn't that liberating? Can I get a witness at Rocky Mount Baptist Church on Sunday morning? Is that not liberating to realize, and only realize, but to confess, I can't be good enough. But wait! He is. And not only is He good enough, but He gave the ultimate sacrifice to be applied to my account. And all I have to do is receive that through, through grace and repentance. Good night. That sets me free from the insecurity complex of always wondering if I'm good enough for God. The point of our badness is the very thing that points us to His perfection. That's what God is calling us all to do here today. Some of you, you need to get saved. You need, when we give the, the, the invitation here, you need to walk down and be like, I am ready to follow Christ. You're like, I know these steps here are not magical and they don't save me, but I'm ready. I'm ready to get baptized. If you want to, if Jeff, well, Jeff, you want to do a German Baptist, boom, boom, boom baptism, then we can do that. But I am ready to, I'm ready to follow Christ. I don't even care. Right? Like, throw me off a dock and hold me under with some deacons. I'm ready to follow Jesus. Was that too much? I don't know. I still don't know. It's been two years. I don't know about him. But I hope that you can come back next week. We're going to pick this up and hopefully answer more of the questions that have been raised. There are worms crawling all over this room, I know, right now. But the point, the focus of this text, go back with me to John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And that's what Christ wants to do today if you've never been truly saved. Some of you, you say, Jeff, I've been saved, but it seems like I'm always Basing my relationship with Jesus on my performance. Stop that today. 
Look at Him as the loving Father who adopted you simply because He is good.